his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The last few months have brought more than their share of hardships, tragedies, and controversies. So if we sit down to talk with Illinois' senior U.S. senator amid all of this, there's no shortage of things to talk about. This weekend, we will sit down with Dick Durbin, and yes, there are subjects aplenty. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Dick Durbin is in his fifth term as a U.S. senator. The East St. Louis native has been in the seat since 1997. I am interviewing him on Friday via Zoom, but he's here in Chicago just ahead of a news conference that we're going to ask him about. And as I said, we have a lot to discuss, and I want to dive right in. Senator, welcome back, and thank you for making the time. Good to be with you, Craig. Well, let's start with your news conference at Thresholds, which is one of the larger mental health service organizations in the city. Uh, This event is about funding for thresholds, I guess, but the issue goes way beyond that, right? Sure does, because Thresholds is really one of our leading uh, efforts in the Chicagoland area to deal with mental health counseling, and particularly among teenagers and young people. We need it now more than ever. Uh, I think there are two elements that we should be sensitive to. First is COVID has taken its toll on the mental hygiene of young people. Their lives were seriously interrupted, uh, and many families will tell you that their kids need a helping hand to get through it. And secondly, the gun violence on the streets of Chicago, uh, time and again, can be traced back to trauma and the experiences of young people when they were impressionable and just growing up. Kids exposed to violence, exposed to a dysfunctional family, uh, struggle to deal with the things that other children never even consider. Uh, And to give counseling, at least make it available, makes us a safer place. Now, last weekend, uh, in fact, partly thanks to you, I talked with folks from UCAN who uh, praised the availability of federal and philanthropic funds for mental health treatment. But the the CEO there, Krista Hamilton, uh, said that they can't find enough therapists, despite having the money to pay them, that the pipeline hasn't caught up yet. And is that something that, uh, that we need to think more about? Greg, it's a serious problem. Uh, Whether you're talking about nurses to deal with COVID and its aftermath, uh, whether you're talking about caregivers uh, in so many different levels and and mental health counselors, we are in desperate need of individuals who are trained uh, to deal with these problems professionally and effectively. 
uh, we've got to do something. We just can't wait for the supply to catch up with the demand. We have to do things, uh, I think, to create incentives. Tuition-free uh, college, for example, so that uh, young people uh, who are trying to make a vocational choice will consider this as a great starting point. Uh, bringing in the city colleges, community colleges downstate, and our universities into this conversation as quickly as possible is important. Now, the National Health Service Corps is a federal effort that tries to place doctors and nurses and medical professionals in areas of highest need. During the debate over COVID, I added a billion dollars, which by federal standards is still a lot of money, a billion dollars nationwide for scholarships for people to get into the National Health Service Corps and go to the areas of great need, either in our cities or downstate. Hmm. Well, I want to turn to another issue that uh, has something to do with uh, health and uh, and care, and you've been pressuring the Food and Drug Administration for some time to ban flavored and menthol vaping products, electronic cigarettes, because as we all know, young people flock to these devices. Juul, the biggest manufacturer, was first told to stop selling its product, but then the uh, FDA backed off while, it, uh, while the company appealed. Can you bring us up to date on where all that is? Craig, let me tell you, in my political career, I've done a few things, and probably the most significant was one I didn't see coming. Uh, back over 25 years ago, I passed the bill in the House to ban smoking on airplanes. Little did I know that that was a tipping point. Once we banned smoking on airplanes, people said, wait a minute, secondhand smoke is dangerous to you. Uh, in an airplane, why it's sure the same thing on a train and a bus and an office and a hospital and a restaurant. And the next thing I knew, during the last 25 years, America's attitude towards smoking has changed dramatically. I didn't stop there. What I went after was the tobacco company's incessant uh, luring of children into this addiction of tobacco. And we did some remarkable things in terms of marketing and uh, telling retailers that they had to get serious about selling their product. So what did big tobacco do? They invented a new product called an e-cigarette and vaping. Guess what chemical it has in it? the same as tobacco, nicotine. Why would they continue to put that chemical there? It's addictive. Once you get addicted to it, it's tough to quit. And what's their target audience? Once again, it's still our kids. Two million American kids are addicted to vaping and e-cigarettes. So we said to the Food and Drug Administration, stop them. Don't let them do this to our kids. And you correctly pointed out, they have just stalled and dawdled and fumbled around to a point where at least 10 months later, courts are ordering them to do something and they're failing time and again. I've had it. Big tobacco lawyers are running rings around the Food and Drug Administration and our kids are paying the price. So what is the status right now and or what can be done right now? Because those products are still on the market as the company fights the effort to take them off. This friend of Joe Biden has made it clear at the highest levels of this administration that I'm going to raise holy hell until the Food and Drug Administration decides that it's going to protect our kids from the, these miserable tobacco companies. They don't give a tinker's damn whether these kids are addicted, and I do. America should. And parents across this country ought to be outraged that the Food and Drug Administration is fumbling this issue. And, and you have uh, talked about them failing in, in missions in general. Um, did I read correctly that you're now considering proposing a spinoff of, of, of at least some of what the FDA does? Well, certainly in the area of food safety, look at what happened with infant formula. 
for God's sake, we reached a point where the major suppliers of infant formula uh, couldn't meet health standards, were cut off, and we had shortages across the United States of America of something as basic as infant formula. Where in the world was the Food and Drug Administration when this was underway? Why aren't we thinking about food safety in modern 21st century terms? Uh, long ago, years and years ago, I proposed a separate agency for food safety, not the Department of Agriculture, not the FDA, but a separate agency. I'm back to that. I think we need to make sure that our food supply is safe from chemicals, from uh, any element that could be dangerous to individuals, depending on their age. All of these things are needed now more than ever. Uh, how much resistance is there to that kind of an idea? I mean, some you're going to get some people who are going to say, oh, big government getting bigger. Uh, what is that what you're expecting to happen here? I, I get it from all sides, Craig. It isn't just big government getting bigger. There's a cozy relationship between the food industry and the existing inspection and regulation system. I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, that's secondary to the public health needs of America. Well, I want to turn to another major public health issue, and that is guns. Uh, within the last week or so, we have uh, seen the tragedy, the horror of what happened in, uh, in, uh, on our North Shore. Uh, Highland Park calls for more restrictions or bans on assault weapons are increasing. Um, but I mean, you and I have seen this enough. They, they do after every mass shooting, even when they seem to occur weekly, which has happened over the last few months. Um, we haven't seen the calls answered. So what's going to make this time any different? Well, sadly, I should not have been surprised at what happened in Highland Park. Uh, when I left for vacation with my family, went over to Michigan. I, I couldn't believe it when the news report came out on the 4th of July about a shooting on the streets. My wife and I hopped in our car and drove six hours straight to get back to Highland Park. <clears throat> and I was there that evening. And I will tell you what happened there has been happening all across America. Uh, sadly, Senator Duckworth and I are joining a fraternity of grief in the United States Senate of so many senators who have had these mass shootings in their home states. And this one was particularly painful because here we have families celebrating the 4th of July, that ultimate American holiday. When you take your kids out with flags in hand and cheer as, as the troops come by, as, as the bands come by, as all the floats go by. And then we had this madman, this shooter who gets on top of a building. Craig, I want to put this in perspective because I want people to appreciate this. This fella had a, an AR-15 style weapon made by Smith & Wesson, and he took it up to the roof of that business. And he had high capacity magazines so he could feed bullets in there. He shot 83 rounds in just a matter of minutes and killed seven people, injured at least 45 others, some of them gravely, uh, like Cooper Roberts, that eight-year-old boy who is struggling with paralysis even now. And just put this in perspective for a minute. We have laws across the United States when it comes to duck hunting. You can take a shotgun out duck hunting, but you can't have more than three rounds in it because it's not fair to the ducks. And so you have to manually reload after three shotgun shells. And yet when it comes to these military assault weapons, killing innocent people, there is no limitation when it comes to these clips, these high capacity clips. So he fired off 83 rounds, killing so many people. Uh, it, it just 
infuriates me to think that we have more concern about regulation and fairness in firearms when it comes to than we do when it comes to assault rifles. Mm. So what can be done right now? I mean, do you think there is hope for a ban or any more restrictions on assault weapons, at least at the congressional level? I'm going to be really blunt, and I hate to do it because it'll break somebody's heart to hear it, but it's not going to happen until the next election. The voters will decide. They will ask the hard questions of congressional candidates to the House and Senate if they feel gun safety is the major issue as to where they stand on this issue. I'll vote accordingly. That's the only way that's going to change. We need a different Congress. This Congress has gone as far as it can go in gun safety. It's the first bill in 30 years that we just passed a few weeks ago. It didn't have any, it wouldn't have had any impact to speak of on the Highland Park situation. And yet it was a step forward. I voted for it. If we're going to do something about assault rifles and these high capacity clips, uh, we need a different Congress. We need more people that are willing to work together to achieve that goal. Um, is one of the things that makes a difference that, as you point out, every week, you know, another senator or, or, or two may be affected by things happening in their own areas. Do you see any minds changing e either in the Senate or in the House, for that matter? Do uh, John Cornyn of Texas is a good example. Conservative for sure. Former Texas Supreme Court justice. Here he was after the Uvalde massacre, killing those poor kids in their classroom. And he stepped up and, and, and negotiated a gun safety bill. Hats off to him. You know, it took some courage to do that. He's been criticized by many people in, in his own party because of it. And yet it took that tragedy and it took that loss of life uh, to motivate that negotiation. Uh, there'll be more. Sadly, there are going to be more whether we like it or not. And it, we have to use those as occasions to, to prompt and encourage members to really look hard at this issue and maybe open up their minds and their hearts to a different approach. Senator, is there more that can be done with red flag laws? Uh, whether it's at the state, I mean, I know the bill that, uh, or the, now the law that was passed, uh, does give the states more resources for these red flag laws, but is there something that should be done nationally? Well, of, of course, we, when it comes to purchasing uh, assault weapons and rifles, long guns, as they call them, uh, under the age of 21, we stiffened the standards and we had more inspections and background checks. But when I look at this Highland Park situation, I'm struck by the fact that here we had a young person who had threatened to commit suicide, who the, was brought, the police were brought out to his home uh, when he said he was going to kill others, whose uh, supply of knives and daggers and swords was, was seized by the police, he ends up getting the permission of his father to sign the FOID card to go out and buy, for God's sake, an assault rifle. You know, let's stop, aside from the point I made earlier about duck hunters and shotguns, when we give an assault rifle to a young soldier in America, we just don't hand it to him and send him into battle. We send them into training for weeks so they know what they have in their hands and how to use it safely and, and what the capacity of that weapon is. These are not ordinary rifles. Assault rifles, the velocity of the round that is fired into the human body is two or three times ordinary firearms. What difference does it make? Does it pass through more quickly? Well, it does more damage as it goes through the body. This poor little boy who's facing paralysis, 
all the things that he's had to go through, seven, eight, nine different surgeries are because of the damage done by this gun. We let this gun be sold to that shooter up in Highland Park with no training whatsoever. His father signs off on him buying the thing, despite the fact that there were clear warning signals that should have given him pause, even consider giving this uh, young man a, a dagger, let alone a firearm. So yes, I think when it comes to these red flag laws at the state and federal level, we got to get serious. If they want to buy deadly guns like these assault rifles, there ought to be standards of care that currently are not in place. And I know you also uh, uh, have strong feelings about parental responsibility, not just in, in this case, yes, but in, in other cases, people just don't want to admit how tr- sometimes how troubled their, their family members might be. And I'll tell you something. There's a, there's a center in Rockford called the Peace Center, and they are dealing with domestic violence as the root cause of so many other problems. 40% of the police calls in Rockford are for domestic violence. I don't know exactly what the number is in Chicago or Cook County, but I'll bet it's comparable. And they have seen the need to intervene as quickly as possible in domestic violence situations and not to let these go on indefinitely without some intervention. And it just says to me that we've got to be more serious about dealing with that issue of domestic violence and what it leads to. If you have a child or young person who's in a domestic violence situation, who has attempted suicide or who tortures animals, for goodness sakes, time and again, we find that those indicators, it's a fair warning sign to everyone. This is a troubled young person who needs help. And the thought of handing over a firearm to that person is just deadly irresponsible. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Illinois U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, and we are talking via Zoom. Well, I want to talk about the one of the other, uh, I, I hesitate to call them hot button issues, but they, they are, uh, and that is uh, abortion. Uh, Roe v. Wade has given way to Dobbs versus Jackson. Uh, that now removes the protection of uh, abortions. And it's, oh, do we now have 50 battlegrounds uh, in the United States as far as the abortion rights versus uh, abortion bans? I'm afraid to say yes, it's true. It's the first time in the history of the United States of America that the Supreme Court has uh, come down with a ruling that took away a constitutionally protected right of an American. And that's what happened. This was a constitutionally protected right to reproductive health care. It was regulated. Uh, both Casey and Roe had regulations so that uh, there were limitations on the use of that right. But that is all gone by the board now. The Supreme Court said, let 50 states decide. And Craig, I want to tell you, it's going to create unfairness across the board. There will be people of limited uh, financial means who will be unable to seek out the rep- reproductive health care that they need. And it goes beyond abortion, as important as that is, a central issue to this. It goes to in vitro fertilization, which I will tell you is now in question because of this ruling. I'm blessed, my wife and I, to have some wonderful grandchildren. and Two of them are the product of in vitro fertilization. I will fight for the right of every family to be able to use that. Uh, And I think this is now in question with the ruling. Senator Duckworth, my great colleague, just absolutely amazed me, not once but twice when she called and said, Dick, I'm going to have a baby. And I couldn't believe it. 
and it's true. She, she's had two beautiful little girls, both products of in vitro. She has said this publicly on the floor, and she worries about this Dobbs decision and its treatment of uh, the issue when it comes to in vitro. Uh, just to give you an example, the complications are unlimited at this point because the court did this irresponsible thing. And the issues seem to go even further. Uh, there are people who are concerned about uh, contraception. And frankly, uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, Justice uh, Clarence Thomas has raised the issue of same-sex marriage. Uh, and so, yeah, this, is, this is, has ramifications that go on. It certainly does. And, and people will say, oh, you, you're, you're trying to scare people. It's not a real problem. You put your finger on it. This doesn't come from some Democrat uh, opinion writer. It comes from Clarence Thomas and the concurring opinion in the Dobbs case. He said what he's been saying over and over again. Now we get to take a look at privacy. Now we get to take a look at contraception and birth control. Now we get to take a look at the, the whole question uh, of consensual acts between adults, LGBTQ. I mean, these things were settled law, we thought, as we did with the issue of abortion until the Dobbs opinion. But this out-of-control Supreme Court has reached the lowest level of approval in history. 75% of the people in this country have questions about this court. Why? Because there has been an overt effort over the last few years to politicize this court. You could not get into a federal judgeship under the Trump administration unless you have the seal of approval of something called the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society looks at your philosophy ask you the hard questions about choice and other issues and decides whether to approve you or not. Without that approval, you don't get on any court, let alone the Supreme Court. In that case, Trump, President Trump was very explicit. He went to the Federal Society and said, you give me the list of nominees for the court. And they did. And he chose from that list and was very proud to do so. The court has become so political that people are really losing any confidence that it's going to come down with rulings that are sensible. Is that something that will just have to be a, uh, a factor in coming elections? Or, I mean, there are people who are suggesting packing the court. In other words, the increasing the number of justices. Um, it's a very, uh, a very sensitive and controversial issue. Where do you come down on that? Well, I, I have not come out for that, but I will tell you, I am tempted. Uh, I would just have to tell you the honest truth, though, to even consider changing the number of judges on the court. And that has changed over history. The current number came dates back to, I think, the 1860s. But before then, there were different numbers on the court. Uh, to consider changing that uh, is a dramatic change in federal statute that requires a supermajority vote in the Senate. I don't think that's likely to occur. Uh, I just hope the court comes to its senses. But uh, this, this question of restructuring it or putting some age limits on it uh, may be considered in the future. Uh, I haven't looked into that. I don't endorse any of those approaches at this point, but I won't rule it out. Um, I also want to uh, ask if there's anything that Congress should be looking at when it comes to states that might be either wanting to punish doctors who perform abortions or put pressure on uh, doctors who perform abortions, or uh, even patients who are seeking abortions in other states. I know Indiana, for example, I think I saw this week is looking at the doctor in the case of that 10-year-old girl 
that made headlines um, saying that they want to check her licenses and make sure that she is has been doing things on the up and up. Is, is that something that Congress might have to look at? Absolutely. And the question it, it is a legitimate question. When you look at what the state legislatures are proposing to deal with the regulation of abortion, it is frightening. Would you think twice about having somebody from Indiana driving into a hospital in Chicago for medical care or someone from Wisconsin driving into the Chicagoland area? Of course not. That's the normal thing. We don't think twice of crossing the state boundary to seek health care. And yet when it comes to reproductive health procedures, whether it's abortion, in vitro fertilization, or who knows what, what you're hearing from the state legislatures are, we are going to restrict it. You're not going to escape our jurisdiction just by driving into another state. So that is a chilling, has a chilling impact on people who are seeking medical care. Now put yourself in the shoes of the doctor. He is making a split, she or she, are making split second decisions on life and death when it comes to that woman before them. And they have to think twice. They may have to call a lawyer before they make a decision. Is this patient an extremist? Is it reached a point where I can justify if challenged in court or if charged with a crime for what I'm about to do? Think about that for a minute. We have reached that point because of this Dobbs decision. That to me is an extreme that needs to be resolved. Uh, it should be resolved by a different decision by the court. But in the meantime, we've got to protect basic uh, civic rights in this country to seek medical care. One more thing I want to talk about, and that is the ongoing hearings into what happened on January 6th, uh, 2021. Uh, let me ask, what stays with you the most from the, from the recent hearings that we've, that we've seen? Greg, I'm lucky. I went to college out in Washington and I worked in that building for decades of my life. Uh, it's not just another building to me. Uh, there's something just basically sacred about it as far as I'm concerned. I had this mixed feeling more anger than fear on January 6th as they hurried us out of the Senate chamber, as the Secret Service took Mike, Michael Pence, the vice president, presiding chair, and said he had to leave and that we had to get out as quickly as possible. It was anger that this crowd was defacing this Capitol in an attempt to stop us from our constitutional duty of counting the votes in this election. Yes, I put the burden on President Trump and I voted to impeach him because of it. I do it again. The January 6th committee hearing is just buttressed my belief that he was the inspiration, the driving force be behind that January 6th gathering. He knew exactly what he was doing when he sent the crowd up to the Capitol and said, go wild. He wanted them to stop the official count. I'll give kudos to the vice president who stood up and said, I'm not going to be a party to this uh, and to those who stood by him. But I'll tell you, those members of the Senate and House Republican members who were complicit in this should be called out for it at the very least and maybe more. What sense do you get that any minds are being changed by the hearings, regardless of how dramatic some of the testimony has been, and minds being changed either among the general public or, more importantly, in Congress? I think minds are being changed. Uh, uh, those who characterize themselves as nonpartisan or independent, uh, I, I think they're looking at the facts that are dramatically presented by this committee. I think this committee has done an extraordinary job. I can't think of another committee that has used its power so effectively. And think about this for a second. The overwhelming majority of witnesses are people who either worked for Donald Trump or said they'll vote for him again. I mean, they are not Democrats uh, in disguise. 
they are in fact Republicans who think, think that this president went over the edge uh, in January 6th, and I agree with it. The fact that he is still peddling the big lie across America and winning converts to it is just as disheartening as possible to me. He overthrew our government in, in the most basic terms to viol violate our constitution by voiding the previous election. There is nothing more serious. It is, uh, it is a traitor's act as far as I'm concerned, and that's why I voted to impeach him because of it. Do, how concerned are you that uh, that that mood in the country, those people who are still moving toward the direction of Donald Trump, is 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 an undercurrent that uh, that we're not seeing clearly or understanding? Well, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, I'm a happy, proud Democrat, agreeing with my party most all of the time. But I want to see a strong Republican Party, and I know many Illinois Republicans who are conservatives that I respect. And they are not happy with Trump. In private, they'll tell you they can't stand the thought that he would take over the Illinois Republican Party. But if you went downstate, as I did just last week, and drove around in some of the rural and small town areas, it is uh, jaw-dropping to look at the signs for Trump that are still up on barns and at homes. These people are following his leadership, regardless of the facts that are coming out in this January 6th investigation. That's going to be the final word. Senator Dick Durbin, thank you very much for spending the half hour with me. Um, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on Odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hiya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.